Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, He is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, I'm so grateful that I get to be able to come together with you today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But we kind of have to ask a question of kind of why we're gathered here, and that would be, really, what does this mean for you? I was thinking this past week, I heard this story about a Sunday school teacher, and the Sunday school teacher prepared his class for the very special day that, that Easter is, and so he got some of these plastic eggs and he said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some things inside of those eggs that kind of represent Easter, and then I'm going to have the kids open them, and as they open them, I'll be able to make some spiritual application to their lives. And so sure enough, the first little girl, she got her egg, and she opened it up, and inside was a flower. And so the Sunday school teacher was just talking about, hey, how when Jesus rose from the dead, he brings things to life and makes things super beautiful. Another kid, of course, he had a colored picture of Jesus uh, coloring crayon, this picture of Jesus inside of his egg. And so the teacher began to talk about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, and that meant that he could be forgiven. And man, the little boy was all excited, and finally another little girl came, and she opened her egg, and inside of her egg was a, was a stone. And so the teacher was talking about how the, the stone had been rolled away as Jesus came out of that grave to offer us new life. And then another little boy, well, inside of his egg, he found... A nail, And so the teacher was talking about how Jesus was pierced for our iniquities and he was put upon that cross and he died to forgive us of our sin. Well, sure enough, in the, the back of the room was a little boy named Jose and Jose was seven years old and Jose opened up his egg and there was nothing. Well, before the teacher could even say a word, Jose said this. He said, hey, hey, I'm so excited. My egg is filled with exactly what Jesus' tomb was filled with. It's nothing because he ain't there. Can I tell you today, there's nothing in the tomb. There's nothing there. It's empty. That's what we're celebrating today. But, but here's the question that I'm really after. We can say that, and, and man, believers like me around the world, we say things like that, but I want to kind of get down deeper, what does that really mean for you? What does Easter mean for you? Now, the tomb is empty, and just like that Sunday school teacher, I want to try to make some spiritual application about that emptiness. So I wonder if you'd just join me. I'm going to be in the book of Luke this morning, the book of Luke. I'm going to be in the last chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, you want to open that up to Luke chapter 24, that would be amazing. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, Maybe you have an app on your phone, you want to pull that up. If you don't have a hard copy and you want a hard copy of God's Word, there should be some Bibles in the seats kind of underneath those around you. You can take that as our, our gift to you today. Maybe we'd love to bless you with that. You don't have to worry about returning that. Either which way, I wonder if you would take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 24. I'm just going to read a few verses now, and we'll begin to go through that. And I wonder if you would just rise to your feet as we read God's holy inspired, inerrant, infallible word to us today. I'm beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, not late at night, but at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. 
And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee? and saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now there were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and also the other women were with them telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Oh God, would you take your word and bring to life things that are dead? And I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Here's the first thing for you today. Man, you want to know what Easter means for you. You want, you want to be able to say, hey, what is this empty tomb have to do with me? Well, first of all, Easter means that I can have delight in my distress. Easter means that I can have delight in my distress. Now, we don't know what time Jesus rose from the dead, but we do know what happened after he came back to life. The Bible tells us that an angel came down from heaven, and it appeared in a snow-white robe and rolled away the stone that was over the tomb. The guards at the tomb were dazed and motionless because of fear, and God opened up that tomb, and let me tell you, I'm not the first person to say this, but God opened up that tomb not to let Jesus out. You see, Jesus in his resurrected body, he often kind of floated through things, kind of appeared here and appeared there, even kind of came through doors at times that were closed. See, that the tomb wasn't open to let Jesus out. The tomb was open, brothers and sisters, to let the disciples in. <laughs> And so we got to understand what was going on here. The early in the morning before the sun came up, the women started showing up early. They had this sad responsibility. They were to prepare the body for burial. They had done that a little bit before, but now there were some final and more formal preparations for the body of Jesus. And as they were making their way out, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the mother of James, as they were making their way out of Jerusalem to the tomb, they were asking themselves this question, who is going to roll the stone away for us when we get there? This stone was kind of on an incline on a hill, and so it would have meant that the stone would have had to been rolled uphill to have been taken away from the tomb. And they were asking themselves, who's going to help us do that? When they got there, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and they knew that they were at the right tomb because they had watched where they had put Jesus in. Now they looked inside that tomb, and they saw that Jesus' body was not there. But I want you to notice with me in the text it does not say that when they saw it, they were filled with joy. You kind of have to understand this. In verse 4, it says this, they were perplexed. Verse 5 says, as the women were terrified. You see, these women were very confused. They were very afraid. They were very distressed. They were distressed even to the point of brokenness. You see, when your world is broken and my world is broken, we can't see things as they really are. Their world was broken. You see, you've got to think about it like this. They had lost the one in whom they had put all their hope. They had lost the one whom they loved so deeply. Now they were even probably beginning to think, is this even real? 
Is this whole thing about a Messiah even real? Everything they had believed, everything that they had trusted in, the one in whom they had placed all their hope and trust had suddenly disappeared and their world was broken. Even as they looked at the empty tomb, all they could be filled with was confusion and doubt and distress. And I want you to know here today, your world may be broken. And all you can try to do is just keep one foot in front of the other. Your world may be filled with fear this morning. You may be terrified about how things are going in your life. You may be terrified about the things that you may hear after you leave here today. You may be fearful of how things are going to turn out for you when you go to work next week. You may be afraid of what you're going to hear your kids tell you. You may be afraid of the loss that you're constantly experiencing. And simply put, one word to describe it is you may be distressed here this morning. Can you imagine we, we leave here today and we jump out onto Highway 71 and let's just pretend for kicks and giggles a hailstorm came. And the hailstorm comes and it's those size of golf balls kind of hail and it's pelting your car and it hits upon that windshield and you're going 75 miles an hour and out of nowhere, the hail just starts coming and your window all of a sudden has those cracks and it turns into spider webs and it covers your entire windshield. Well, you know that you can't keep going. You're going to have to pull over to the side of the road. You're going to stop where you're headed, and you're going to have to ask for help. You see, let me tell you something. When everything is broken, when your life is distressed, you can't see what's in front of you anymore, and you can't continue to keep going where you were headed. Maybe that's where you're at today. But can I speak to some of you in the room today? Listen to me. Can I tell you that it, that may not be your fault? Because you see, what happened is a lot of times distress in our life doesn't always happen because we've been stupid. Sometimes it happens because other people have done things to us. You see, in this case, their world was broken and they were distressed because somebody else had done something to the one they Personal sin can bring brokenness and distress into our lives. The world is broken and distressed because of sin. Our marriages are broken, promises are broken, hearts are broken, relationships are broken, all because of sin. But there is some really, really good news today. When Jesus Christ rose from that tomb, beloved, he rose to bring delight to your distress. He rose to bring healing for your brokenness. You see, when they were broken in distress, we see this in verse 6 of the Bible. Luke 24, verse 6 and 7, it says this, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember, he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be crucified and on the third day raised again. Listen to me. The angels drove away their fears by calling them back to Jesus' words. He said that he would be crucified at the hands of sinful men. He said that he would be crucified, but said that he would be crucified at the hands of sinful men. He said that he would be crucified, but on the third day he would rise. Now in verse 8, and they remembered his words. You see, these women whose lives were broken and full of distress remembered the words of Jesus and received delight for their distress, healing for their brokenness once they remembered who he was. You see, the people have often said it this way, and I'm not the first to say it again, but here's something we can learn. Never forget in the darkness what Jesus shows you in the light. 
You see, when you are distressed and it's dark and you can't see and you're confused and you're afraid, remember, remember today that Jesus is alive. He is who he says he is. And he did what he said he did. And he can do what he says he can do. He is alive and he promises eternal resurrection and hope and healing for anyone who believes in him. Easter means delight for your distress. But can I tell you something this morning? You can receive that delight in your distress. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. At the end of the service, I'm going to give you an opportunity for Jesus to bring delight into your distress, for you to personally know the true meaning of Easter. But Easter means that I can have delight in my distress. And here's the second thing that Easter means. Easter means that I can have a declaration in my doubts. I can have a declaration in my doubts. Pick up in verse 13 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? Verse 17 says this, and they stood still, looking sad. Here we're introduced to two disciples. One of them we know is named Cleopas, and the other we don't know. They're making their way from, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and as they're walking there, something happens, right? They had heard this story of the women when they came back from the tomb and how this angel was there and said that Jesus is alive and Jesus is risen. They heard it, but beloved, they didn't believe it. All they knew that they had been following Jesus, they had trusted Jesus, that he had been crucified, and now they're not sure that the tomb is really empty. As they were traveling, the Bible says that Jesus joined them. Now, I don't know how he did that. I don't know if he, he kind of walked up from behind them, if he just appeared beside them. Nevertheless, Jesus kind of shows up and they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, hey, what are all these things you're talking about? And, and some of the things you can imagine they're talking about, right? I mean, they're probably thinking about, I mean, why did the Messiah have to die? I mean, really, was he the Messiah? I don't really know. I mean, could this really be true that he's been raised from the dead? Verse 17 tells us that all these questions, they've kind of asked themselves this, and they just stand there looking sad. You know, you know why they're looking sad? Because doubt had overcome their heart. Doubt had just simply ravished their hearts. Verse 18 says this, One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, this is so funny to me. Verse 17, he says, 18, he says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here? <laughs> and this is funny to me. That's just comic relief in the Bible. I mean, you're talking to the dude who's been crucified, and you're going to say, you don't know what happened to you? <laughs> are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened? Cleopas continues to tell the story of how Jesus was crucified, and it becomes more, more apparent that as he begins to tell Jesus the story of what happened to Jesus, the doubt is filling his heart. I mean, could it be that Jesus really wasn't who he claimed himself to be? They were doubting because they simply hadn't seen the resurrected Lord. Verse 25 tells us something interesting. And he said to them, Jesus, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You know, listen to me. I want to hear you. I want you to hear me well. Jesus calls them fools. You know why? Because when we come to Jesus, it really isn't a problem of the mind. I have more proof that Jesus raised from the dead in my office 
than the Library of Congress has that Abraham Lincoln was ever the president of the United States. This is not a matter of the mind. This is really a matter of the heart. Doubt always takes over the heart. It never takes over the mind. It's really an issue of the heart. The facts are that Jesus was crucified and that he was raised. It's not a matter of will you believe it with your mind. It's really a matter of whether you receive it with your heart. Verses 26 and 27 say this, Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then 27 says this, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, Jesus preached an entire sermon on the Old Testament, and all he talked about was himself. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm thinking this, and this is my imagination. He probably started with Moses. Way back in Genesis with the first sin and the fall of mankind away from the presence and glory of God, and, and how in that, that fall and how that separation and in that punishment that God promised to send a redeemer, one who would forgive, one who would restore. And then maybe he moved from Genesis to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And he preached about how the entire sacrificial system and all those lambs that were slaughtered and all that blood that flowed was pointing to the one lamb who would be crucified and give up his blood for the entire world. He, he may have pointed to the Psalms and all the singing and all the declarations of this one who was coming. Maybe he went to Isaiah and said, hey, remember Isaiah said there's a virgin that's going to conceive and she's going to give birth to a son and we're going to call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. I don't know what he did, but I know he went through the Old Testament he started with Moses and he moved through the prophets and said how every single thing pointed to himself. And here's the crazy thing. After that declaration, after that declaration to their doubts, the Bible says in verse 31, if you'll turn your eyes there, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and then he vanished from their sight. It's only after a clear declaration of who Jesus is that we really can see him. I'm praying, I'm praying with all my heart. I've been praying for 40 days that this verse would happen to you. I want you to look in verse 32. Then they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Oh, beloved, today, I pray today that you get a white-hot passion for Jesus Christ at the simple just declaration of his word. I pray today that he would meet you right where you're at, that through the power of the Spirit of God, Jesus would take off the blinders and let you see him for who he really is. Jesus will meet you in your doubt, and he will bring assurance to you through the declaration of his word. Every time I get into the word of God, beloved, it gives me greater and greater assurance that Jesus is who he said he was. He died on a cross to pay for our sin. He rose from the dead to give eternal life to everyone who believe. And listen to me, listen to me very carefully today. Jesus Christ is coming again. And Jesus Christ is coming to judge every single person according to this one criteria. Do you know what it is, beloved? Today, he's coming. Tomorrow, he might be coming. I don't know, but he is coming. And when he comes, he's just going to say, have you trusted me to forgive you of your sin? Here in just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to find that. I'm going to give you the opportunity to hear the declaration that your sins have been forgiven and that you can know your heavenly father in a way that would blow your mind.
You see, we need that. We need that declaration. We need to trust in Jesus. But you and I trust oftentimes in too many things, and we have this lack of assurance. I remember reading this story about a man in Juneau, Alaska. He's like a lot of rednecks I know. He does everything with duct tape. So he decided he was going to build a boat with duct tape. So he got this boat together, and he put it out in the little channel of there in Juneau, Alaska. It was just him and his dog and one paddle. The wind was blowing about nine miles an hour that day, and he kind of got out a little bit from shore in his duct tape boat. And sure enough, he began to sink. What he didn't know is the news had got a hold of his story, and they were broadcasting live in Juneau, Alaska. And this man began to sink, and his dog began to sink, and they had to send in people to rescue him because only a fool would try to build a, a boat out of duct tape. You see, I know a lot of other people who do foolish things. I did a lot of foolish things before I met Jesus. I was trying to place my hope in something. You know, I tried to put my hope in my own ability. I thought if I just worked hard enough and did it hard enough and just applied myself hard enough, I could really do something. And I'm telling you, strength and hope in my own ability is not a good assurance for my life. Some people put their assurance in their finances. It's sometimes in their retirement. It's sometimes just in their relationships. Sometimes it's in a job. And beloved, you know that. It can all change in a moment. Just here recently, about a year ago, we all were kind of trusting in our own, our own health and our own strength. But then just like that, man, a disease and a, a crazy virus called COVID jumps into the world, and all of a sudden, all of us are weak and frail and afraid. Can I just tell you that there's nothing, nothing that we can put our assurance in that will absolutely hold us but Jesus Christ. You see, he is risen and he will give assurance and he will bring a confidence and he will bring a declaration of who he is and what he can do. Here's what I'm trying to tell you today. When Jesus makes a declaration to your heart, your doubts will disappear. And I want you to know today, he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to tell you that you are the apple of his eye, that he loves you with everything that he has. He has not come to judge you. He has come to forgive you. And when we place our hope and faith in Jesus, he never disappoints. Easter means that you can have delight in your distress, declaration for your doubts, and thirdly and very quickly, Easter means that I can have disbelief in my despair. I can have disbelief in my despair. You're saying, what? I thought you wanted us to believe. Well, I am. Just stick with me. You can have disbelief in your despair. Now, the two disciples that we met there, on the road to Emmaus, they get back to Jerusalem, and they found the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus, and they share everything that's happened, everything that Jesus has told them. And as they're sharing, Jesus just kind of shows up. Remember, he vanished from their, their sight. And now he just kind of shows up, and this is the evening of Easter Sunday. Turn your eyes to verse 36 of Luke 24. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were... Look at verse 41 with me one more time. Listen, listen to this. This is crazy. 
And while they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Now, now listen to me. Here's what happens when Jesus shows up. The Bible says that they were afraid, but then Jesus comes, and he says, hey, peace, be still. Jesus says, why are you troubled? Why are you fearful? Why are you doubting? Listen, listen. When Jesus shows up, he, he drives doubts away, and he gives us a new confidence. And here's what happens. Here's what happened to me. What Jesus did for me is almost too good to be true. I mean, I just can't believe what Jesus has done for me. That, that's what they're saying there. He shows him his hands and his feet. He says, hey, listen, it's really me. I mean, check out the scars. This is me. Remember the one who was crucified? I, I know you're perplexed. I know you're distressed. I know you're doubting. I know you're in despair. I know you think it's over, but hey, look, I'm alive. He allowed them to touch him so that they wouldn't think he was a ghost or something crazy, but that he was really literally physically there in front of them. He asked for something to eat and asked for fish to show that physically resurrected people are the only things that can really eat. When Jesus shows up, he brings disbelief to our despair. In verse 41, it tells me that they could not believe because of joy. Earlier, they could not believe because of their doubt. They could not believe because of the distress, but now they can't believe because of joy. <laughs> When Jesus gets a hold of your heart, beloved and sisters, you're going to say, I can't believe it either. You will disbelieve for the joy that's found in Jesus. Jesus brings disbelief into despair, and he can do something in your life so good, you wouldn't believe it unless you experienced it either. I remember reading about this Russian countess, and she accepted Jesus as her Lord, and she was very open about her testimony and her faith. And the Tsar that she served under was displeased, and so he threw her into prison. And after 24 hours of being there, living in the lowest level of Russian society, under the most miserable conditions imaginable, he ordered her back into his presence. And then he said these words, and he said, well, are you now ready to renounce your silly faith and come back to the pleasures of the court? And to his surprise, the countess, she just looked at him and she said this. She said, I have known more real joy and more real happiness in one day in prison with Jesus than I have known in a lifetime in the courts of the czar. And some might say, that's just really, that's just really unbelievable. I just don't believe that. That's my point. That's my point. It's unbelievable joy that Jesus brings into our despair. And you can experience that joy this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And during that time, I'm going to provide you with an opportunity to come receive delight for your distress. I'm going to invite you to come hear the Lord Jesus tell you how much he loves you, that you can be forgiven of all your sin, that you can be restored to a right relationship with the king of this universe, that you can leave here being renewed, that you can have a joy that is absolutely indescribable once you leave this place. You can be brought from death to life today. You can be taken out of darkness and placed in the kingdom of his marvelous light today. It can happen to you. It happened to me. And I just haven't gotten over it. Can I tell you today as my band begins to come this way, as the praise team begins to make their way, can I ask you this question, what does Easter mean for you? You see, I believe that Easter means that you can have delight in your distress. I believe that it means you can have a declaration for your doubts. 
And I believe that you can have disbelief in your despair. For those of you who are believers in the room, let me speak to your heart just for a moment. A.B. Simpson is reported to have said that the gospel tells us that rebellious men have been reconciled with God, that justice is satisfied, that sin has been atoned for, that the judgment of the guilty may be revoked, that the condemnation of the sinner is canceled, the curse of the law is blotted out, the gates of hell have been closed, the portals of heaven have been opened, the power of sin has been subdued, the guilty conscience healed, the broken heart comforted, and the sorrow and misery of the fall has been undone, praise God. But now let me tell you what that really means. I believe right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that you're experiencing something that you may not have ever experienced before. And let me tell you what that is. I believe right now that Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is literally knocking on the door of your heart. I believe right now that he wants you to personally know the meaning of Easter, personally. What does Easter mean? Jesus is knocking, and the one who is knocking at the door of your heart, can I just help you for a minute? He is not a taskmaster. This Jesus that's knocking on the door of your heart is not disappointed in you. He's not distant from you. He's not demanding of you. The one who's knocking on the door of your heart has come today with a gift. I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of your heart, hoping that you will open it so that he can tell you that he forgives you. I want you to know that Jesus, listen to me. Jesus is not knocking on the door of your heart to tell you your rent is due. He's knocking on the door of your heart to tell you all of your debt has been forgiven. That's who he is. That's why he's come. He's knocking on the door of your heart to tell you that he was put on a cross because the wages of sin is death. And either you will pay for it or he can pay for it. But it will be paid for. That he says, hey, I will pay for it. I will take the punishment for your sin. I died so that you could have sin paid for. And I was buried. I was buried so that all of the sin could be just covered. And I was raised again. And I went back to the Father to show any and all who trust in me to have their sins paid for, to believe that I died and was buried and raised, they can be made right with the Father and go to heaven when they die, but have relationship with him now. Jesus says he's come to bring you unbelievable joy. Here's the crazy thing. All you have to do for Easter to really mean something to you today is just open up the door. I mean, it's just that simple, but it's just that hard. So we're going to sing here in just a moment. I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand to our feet. And what we do here at First Baptist is we kind of make this an altar. 
Altars are where things were sacrificed. We're asking today to come put your life and put your faith where God put his son and that's on a cross. We're asking you to come die to yourself that you may find life in Jesus. I beg you, I beg you today, if you have never trusted Jesus as your Lord, that today would be the day that you leave here with joy. He's knocking right now. I'm telling you, some of you are sweaty palmed. Some of you are nervous. Some of you know you're supposed to come. And I want want you to know, when you come, he's got nothing but open arms. There will be some men and women that are going to be down here and they'll be able to receive you. They'll be able to pray with you. Maybe you've got some other things going on in your life and you want us to pray about. There's other things you need advice on, something you want to celebrate. I don't know what it is. This altar will be open. But specifically today, man, can I beg you, come to Jesus. So I wonder right now, would you just rise to your feet and I'm going to pray. And this altar will be open as we sing. So pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that somehow right now that you would take your word and open the eyes of those of us in this room to see you for who you really are. That love would cover a multitude of sin. That grace would be greater than all our sin that Jesus, you'd just be bigger than any reason that could keep us from you. Woo our hearts to you today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.